Welcome to Conservation for Kids, the conservation podcast for kids and families, where we explore cool animals and environments from the deepest ocean to the tallest mountain. I'm your host, Samuel Morris. Thank you so much for joining us today. Last week, we talked about de-extinction with Dr. Andrew Pask. In this episode, we will be talking about pollinators with Dr. Stephen Morris. Before we get to our interview, we're going to play our animal sound. Our animal sounds are a fun way so you and your family can learn more about an animal. This conservation is serious, but it can also be lots of fun. We're now going to play this week's animal sound. Here it is. Can you guess what this week's mystery animal is? Feel free to hit pause and talk to your family about what you think it is. We are now going to go to our interview with Dr. Morris, but we'll reveal the answer later in the show. Today we'll be joined by Dr. Stephen Morris. Dr. Morris is a horticultural scientist who has had a long career studying fruits and vegetables. He is a hard quiz champion, which is an Australian game show, where his specialty was Shaun the Sheep. And in his spare time, Dr. Morris is also a beekeeper, and that's why I've invited him to join us today. Dr. Morris, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. This is a conservation podcast, so before we start off, can you tell us about the environment where you live? Yeah, where I live now is near um, Newcastle, um, and it's in a river valley, so there's quite a bit of water and wetlands around there. Also, there's lots of Australian native trees around and lots of sources of pollination. Um, There are some orchards and things like that, and particularly the wine industry they grow lots of grapes in the in the around the hunter valley near where where i live why did you get interested in plants and vegetables and pollinators in the first place well my dad was a science teacher and i was always kind of interested in in science and the environment and when i was going working out at the end of school what i'd love to do with my life i thought oh well i love plants and animals and understanding and exploring more about that and the area that I went in was research. So finding out how the plants work, how the animals work is something that's always been very interesting for me. And also early on, I actually had lots of beehives. And one funny little story is that uh, when I met Wendy, who became my wife, I actually had 30 beehives when I was at uni and I couldn't afford an engagement ring. So I sold 25 of my beehives and with those 25 beehives, the price from that, I bought Wendy her engagement ring. And then for a, quite a long while, I didn't actually have any bees. And then later on, as I was getting a little bit older in, in life, I've decided to have bees again and uh, been really enjoying them. Cool. So what is pollination and how does it work? Well, pollination is a very clever things that plants have worked out. And basically, they have pollen, which is, occurs on anthers, a little, uh, and that's the little male part of the flower. And there's little pollen grains, and they're the male part of, of the, how the plant breeds. And then there's a female part, which is a stigma, which is a sticky spike sticking up out of the flower. And when the pollen grain lands on the stigma, it swells up because it's, got, it's very light, very dry. And then it grows down the stigma into the ovary, and then when it reaches ovary, it, it grows into, into a seed. And then once the plant's fertilized, it grows into a fruit. What attracts a pollinator to a plant? Well, pollination is um, 
the plant needs to have usually insects or other animals. This, sometimes pollination can be by wind, but usually pollination is by animals or insects. And the plant actually has to make sure that insects wants to come to it. So the two ways that it attracts them is with food and usually has sugar in the, in the flower, nectar in the flower. And then the pollen is full of protein. And also what attracts them to the flowers is odor and smell and the color of the flower. Bees, one of the insects that are very good in pollination, and they actually look for different colored flowers and also the smell of different flowers. Uh, bees often will actually just go to one particular type of flower. So some bees might be just working on a one particular type of flower and other bees might go to other plants and work other types of flowers. So what animals can serve as pollinators? It's not just bees and insects that do pollination. There's lots and lots of animals, like there's a possum in Australia that pollinates around, it's called a honey possum that goes around, doesn't actually eat honey, it's the nectars. Then there's lots of bats that pollinate and there's lots of beetles and flies and moth butterflies. And even there's some pollination that occurs underwater in, in grass called seagrass which is like a seaweed grows in shallow winds and there's tiny little crabs that walk around and pollinate the seagrass as well as the water carrying the pollen around so there's lots and lots of really interesting things happening with pollination cool what are some threats to pollinators in australia when i was a young boy they used to have lots of uh, insects flying around and when you go for a drive in the country in your car you'd end up with insects squashed all over your windscreen. And that doesn't happen these days. And they've found research in Europe and in America and some in Australia that there's up to 75% less insects now than there used to be 30, 40 years ago. And a lot of that's due to chemicals and various things like that. So one of the big threats to Australia is chemicals and also clearing of plants. And when you clear big areas of land to put plant crops or to put houses in, there's much less room for the insects and the other animals that pollinate plants to grow. So the, what the big threats are, I think, is um, pollution from um, and chemicals which are used in agriculture to kill insects that attack plants. They actually also attack bees. It's really very important because most of the plants that we use for food require, require pollination. About 70 to 80% of the plants we use need to have insects pollinating, pollinating them. Um, and so that's very important if the insects aren't around we don't get the we won't be getting good food and also we need it for all the Australian native plants and all the other plants around natural plants they need insects and animals to pollinate them as well and so if we uh, don't have enough pollinators then it's going to affect our food supply and affect the world we live in. I've heard that many bees in um, are dying because of a mite that's actually infected bees in your area. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, that's a bit of a, a sad story. There's this um, horrible mite called Varroa destructor, and its name is actually says what it does. It's very mean on bees. And last year in Canada, they reckon 50% of the beehives in Canada died out over winter. And the main reason that the 50% of the beehives in Canada died out um, they're saying it's this varroa mite and it's a horrible little mite that it lands onto the bees and sticks to their skin and burrows into um, between their scales and sort of sucks the blood and the fat off the insects. And the really terrible thing it does is it actually 
goes into the baby bees as they're growing inside the little honey cell and it goes down and lays eggs into that and so when the when the bee hatches also a couple of mites come out and then they spread into the colony and so if you don't actually do anything about the mites the colony it will also usually die within a, a year or two so beekeepers through lots most of the world have to treat their bees with chemicals and other ways to try to control the mites otherwise their colonies just die out and Australia has been the only country in the world that has actually been free of these horrible little varroa mites and unfortunately a couple of months ago they had the first infestation of varroa mites in Australia that had spread around and that was in the Newcastle area which is where I live and the New South Wales Department of Prime Ministry had been working really really hard to keep this pest under control and destroy it and it's never been kept under control or destroyed anywhere in the world very unfortunately any bee that's anywhere near these little mites they're getting all the hives are getting destroyed so all the hives in the Newcastle area and a few other areas are getting destroyed to try to get them kill the mite and not, not leave any bees for the mite to spread in you said earlier that you live in a like wine country yeah do you think getting rid of the bees will have an effect on the wine industry? Well, yeah, the wine industry actually relies on insects to pollinate them. And so there are a lot of other pollinators besides bees, but bees actually are very well adapted for the crops we grow in Australia. For the native trees in Australia, a lot of the Australian insects and mam animals and in have adapted to those trees. But for a lot of the food crops we have, like grapes, and particularly almonds, almonds and apples and kiwi fruit, those sort of things, they almost totally rely on bees and insects like those to pollinate. So every year they actually move hundreds of thousands of hives around the country and take them to where the almonds are growing or take them to where the apples are growing or the kiwi fruit are growing or where the wine grapes are and they need those and if they don't have pollinators you won't be getting any crops of the almond trees so if the bees die out it'd be really big problems for our food industry what is the future of pollinators here in australia and across the world and what can families do to help pollinators well the future for pollinators is under a bit of threat because of all these problems that I've mentioned about insects dying out and, and particularly here in Australia with the, the mites and the bees. What we need to do really is to look about t uh, not using so many chemicals in agriculture, try to keep the things as, as chemical free as we can so that it's much more friendly to the, all of the insects and there's what's called integrated pest management where you actually use natural means to control pests rather than just chemicals and also our families can help by trying to buy natural products a bit more and thinking about what they're buying rather than just buying whatever's the cheapest sometimes when you actually be careful in agriculture and you're trying to produce things in a way that's healthy the foods cost a little more so by thinking about what you're buying in the house thinking about how good it is for the environment sometimes it's better to buy a little bit more expensive stuff that's going to do well for the environment rather than just buy the cheapest and we need to find answers to two things like the bees and the and the mites and they, they're actually trying to work out natural ways of controlling the mites so the bees can resist the mites more rather than having to use chemicals in the bees to kill the mites uh, things like that take a long while to to do but that's really where the future is so instead of using chemicals you 
get the bees so they can develop their own defense mechanisms and resistance to mites and live together with the mites but only a couple of mites and then a, that, so they're not actually getting killed by the mites. Would you suggest planting flowers and stuff like that in our gardens to help pollinators as well? Often just having lots of a range of plants is really handy and not necessarily just flowers but bushes and I my bees are actually in a suburb because that's where I live and when you have bees in the countryside usually they just get often they'll get one particular type of tree like a tree in Australia will get lots of honey from is a yellow box tree and lots of Australian honey comes from that but when you actually have bees in a suburb they get nectar from all different plants and you get a real mixture of plants together and a mixture of flavors of honey and so it's having all those all those bushes and plants and flowers near you helps you get a lot of honey in those situations and helps the bees be healthy. What would you say to kids who are really worried about the honey situation and the things that you've just talked about? It's very important to buy honey to support beekeepers. If you can, it's really good to buy local honey or Australian honey if you live in Australia because you're encouraging that industry to develop and to grow and to actually even just hang in there as, as an industry of producing all those all that nice honey because sometimes overseas countries that might use um, lots of chemicals in their agriculture and um, might have not so, so so good standards they can produce honey that's a little bit cheaper um, and it's the same thing you might have to spend a little bit more to make sure that you're actually encouraging the environment and you're actually encouraging your local um, beekeepers and local industry rather than just paying the absolute cheapest price for something that might be imported from a country overseas that doesn't look after their environment as well as we might. Are there any benefits to buying local honey? I reckon it tastes, tastes a bit better and also it means that you're actually keeping money moving around in the local environment where if you buy all the honey in from overseas it means the money's going overseas so it's like it's better for the local economy it's better for the local environment to actually have um, healthy agriculture and healthy um, you know beekeeping etc in Australia. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Morris. I thought it was interesting to learn about how all sorts of animals can be pollinators and that there is even pollination in the sea. If you'd like to learn more about that and the Varroa mite, we've added links in the show notes. We are now going to listen to the animal sound one more time. This is your final chance to guess. Lock in that answer. This week's animal sound was a hummingbird, which is native to North and South America. Hummingbirds are very small. In fact, the bee hummingbird is the smallest bird species in the world. Native to Cuba, these hummingbirds are often mistaken for bees. Hummingbird eggs are about as tiny as peas and are placed in a walnut-sized nest. The hummingbird is the only bird that can hover. They can even fly upside down. Hummingbirds feed every 10 to 15 minutes and can visit 1,000 to 2,000 flowers in one day. A special thank you to today's guest, Dr. Morris. 
Tune in next week for a conversation with Dr. Dorothy Boris about climate change. I'm your host, Sammy Morris, and you've been listening to Conservation for Kids. Conservation for Kids was inspired by a project for my school, St. Paul's Grammar School in Sydney, Australia. I'd like to thank the Year 6 teachers, Mrs. Watson and Ms. Cullen, and our mentor, Ms. Baudinet, for their support. Fact-checking services are provided by Melanie Morris, and our executive producer is Peter Morris. And I'm your host, Samuel Morris.